recorder. The guys think I timed them. Excellent boy, man. So, my accent is quite disappointing. That can be a picky of the conference. So, so, unfortunately, I'm going to have to uh, preach in English. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Normally, after I've spoken Afrikaans a little bit, people say, please stop. Please stop massacring our language. Go back to English. But it really is wonderful to be here, and it was a, a great journey down, driven down from uh, Melbourne this morning. So just around an hour in the car, lovely morning. I know it's a bit cold, but in the car, it's a beautiful drive. And uh, I love this part of the world. I don't get here often, but I do enjoy it when I'm here. But I know that, you know, many of us are facing significant challenges at the moment, right? Um, a lot of people are under financial pressure. We're under uh, health pressures, you know, health challenges, many people. You know, we, we look around and there's all kinds of protests about the government and people are like, Who, who's going to come and save us? Who's going to come and rescue us? Who's going to get us out of this situation? And then you turn on the news and you just get more bad news. So you switch the TV off and you go on your phone and you get onto social media and you just hear more bad news. Yeah. yeah? How many of you are sick and tired of hearing bad news everywhere? It just keeps coming, right? It's, it's the state of the economy, it's the state of the climate, it's the state of the roads, it's service delivery, it's politics. It's, and we're just bombarded with bad news. And it's so easy to become stressed, anxious. You know, there's, there's, there's an epidemic in the world at the moment of depression and anxiety. And ironically, some of the richest countries in the world have the highest rates of anxiety and depression. Because people are looking around going, everything seems hopeless. And then they look um, for somebody to help them. And, you know, often they look to political parties. Now, I come from the UK. They're going to have an election soon. And pretty much they get to choose between two parties that are a waste of time. In America, the, the, the richest country in the world, they, they get to choose between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Is that really the best two people? In Brazil, I often go, I spend a lot of time in Brazil. Brazil had a, situa a similar situation. And in South Africa, I'm not going to get into politics, but we look around and we go, is it really going to be our politicians that rescue us? And the answer is no. So that's all the bad news. <laughs> but fortunately, we've got some good news. Because we are a people of hope. And I believe Love More was here recently talking about faith. Wonderful. I love Love More. He is a man of faith. And I love when people preach just what bubbles up from inside them. It's not a theoretical uh, thing, it's not an academic exercise, but it's, it's, it's a real impartation of a person. And I love to talk about faith. But in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, you know, with that wonderful passage on love, and it says, you know, I can do all these things, I can prophesy, I can heal, I can move mountains if I have love. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And then in the end, at the end of the, the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, you know, where there's prophecy, it will, it will cease. 
Where there's tongues, they will cease. But three things remain. What are the three things that will remain for eternity? Faith, hope, and love. And we love, you know, in churches, we, we preach a lot about love, right? The love of God. We like to preach about the love of God because it makes us all warm and fuzzy. And the love of God is, is tremendous and it's, it's deeper and wider and higher and stronger than we can imagine. And we hear about, a lot about faith in the church because we're supposed to be people of faith. And, and we're saved by faith. And, you know, so we hear a lot about faith. I don't think we hear a lot about hope. But I want to talk to us about hope this morning. Because it's easy for us, even as Christians, even those who know Jesus, to live lives lacking and devoid of hope. It's like, we'll just suffer through this life and maybe one day it'll all be better. You know, the, rug, the rugby's on at the moment, as some of you might have noticed. And each of the countries has their own uh, song. And for some reason, I know the reason, but I won't get into it. The English song is Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Coming for to carry me home. And it was a song that the slaves in America used to sing. And basically it was a song saying, you know, this life is terrible. But I I can see that one day I'm going to be in heaven. And that is part of our hope. But it's only part of our hope. Because if we go through this life lacking hope that God can intervene, lacking hope for our situation, then what message do we have to a hopeless generation? And we need to be an oasis of hope. We need to be that bright, shining light that when people have lost all hope, they look at us and go, why are you so happy? I know your situation. I know your finances. I know your job. I know your your circumstances. Why are you so happy? You go, because I've got hope. And isn't it interesting that hope is something that lasts into eternity? Even when we're with Christ, we will be a people of hope. So the first thing we're going to do if we're going to talk about hope is kind of decide what hope is. Because the word hope can be used in different ways. And when the Bible's talking about hope, it's not saying this. You know, when, when I was little, oh, I, I hope I get a bicycle for Christmas. I hope my teacher doesn't notice I haven't done my homework. That was a big one. <laughs> I hope I don't get into trouble for what I've just Like this, this kind of, I wish. Yeah, it's not simply a wish. I hope the Springboks win the World Cup. (laughs) But when the Bible speaks of hope, it is speaking of a desire, but it's also speaking of an expectation. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for something to happen. And when our hope is in Jesus, what our hope is not just this vain wish, but also this, this, this desire that is grounded in a real expectation. It's a realistic hope. 
The Springboks have a realistic hope of winning the Rugby World Cup. England, after performance yesterday, have no realistic hope. <laughs> yeah, I can still hope, but it's a wish. But, but it's a hope built on something. Our hope in Christ is built on something. And I, I just want to unpack a little bit what it's built on. And we read about that in Hebrews chapter 6. And it's a well-known passage, but I think we often read it and we don't quite understand what it's saying. But the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people that have been persecuted. They're going through a really tough time. Some of them have been put in prison. Some of them have had their houses confiscated. They've been beaten. And at one point he says, remember the days when you rejoiced when your property was confiscated. And I read that recently and I went, oh, because I live in a nice house. I thought, what, what would happen if the government took my house away? Would I rejoice? <laughs> or would I be crying out for justice and, you know, getting up? And these people, some of them, he said, remember the days when you rejoiced when you were persecuted. So he's not writing to a group of people who were, who were having a great time. He says, but we don't want you to become lazy. We don't want you to stop working hard. We don't want you to stop doing those things that you need to do in Christ. But we want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. See, I think sometimes faith is easier than patience. Do you think so? You know, that, that old line, God grant me patience and I want it now. <laughs> and patience, there's an indication here, guys, you've already experienced something of God, but the fullness of your inheritance is still to come. The fullness of your deliverance is still to come. The fullness of the Spirit is still to come. What you've got is a down payment. And so you've got to continue to hope for what God has promised because you've not received it yet. Now, isn't that exciting news? Because I would hope that everybody here would have a story of how amazing God was when he came and met you and rescued you from death and hell and sin. Here's my story. This is my testimony of salvation. God saved me out of drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality and depravity. But he saved me out of those things before I went into them. Because <laughs> I met him when I was very young. But the fact that I didn't do those things doesn't make my testimony less powerful. It's just as powerful because without him, that's where I would have ended up. And sometimes we, we forget that we've got a powerful testimony of what Jesus has done. Because we get these big celebrities sometimes who come in and tell these amazing stories of, you know, I used to do drugs and break the law and I spent time in prison. And they tell you this really exciting story and then, they finish, and, and then I got saved. And then they finish. It's like, is that it? Is that when the excitement ends? Surely that's when the excitement starts. Right? But however, whatever your story is, it's a 
powerful story that supernaturally you were saved from death, you were saved from sin, you were saved from all of these things, the power of the enemy. But no matter how much you understand the power of that story, it's not the complete inheritance, there's more to come. We can hope for more. That's got to be good news, right? So let's continue to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what was promised. And, And how long do we have to be patient for? Well, look at some of the heroes of the faith. Abraham and David. Joseph. Sometimes they waited decades to see the promise in this life. But Hebrews goes on to say, none of them, none of these people inherited what God had promised because they're waiting for the fullness of the promise along with us. So when Abraham got a son, that wasn't the fullness of the promise. When he got the land, that wasn't the fullness of the promise. When Joseph rose to to be second in command of Egypt, that wasn't the fullness of the promise. Whatever happens in this life is only a down payment of the promise. And so we've got to be patient. How long is it going to take? I don't know. As long as it takes. And when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So God told him something and he made an oath. Now why do, why do human beings take oaths? If you go to court and, you, and they, they make you swear on the Bible, do you promise? Why do you take an oath? What is this thing about human beings taking an oath? It's because humans are unreliable and humans lie, right? So to take an oath is to say, I, I'm telling the truth here. And I'm going to stay, you know, I swear on my life means may I die if I lie. Yeah? I swear by my children is may my children. Now, as Christians, I don't think we should take oaths like that. Okay? But that's why oaths came about. It was a way of persuading you that I'm telling the truth because you know that I'm capable of lying. So why would God take an oath? Because God's never lied. So when God speaks to Abraham and says, I promise, he swears an oath. And what does he swear an oath by? He says, I swear by myself. Why? Because there's nothing more important, nothing more valuable than God. Whatever you want to swear an oath on and say, this is, this is the most valuable thing in my life. The most valuable thing is God in the universe. And he swore by himself. Why? Not because he's unreliable, but to prove to us that he's serious. And that's what the writer of Hebrews goes on to say. He says, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Right? So men in those days, I would swear by God, I would swear by this. And, and that would put in, that was the end of the argument. Why did God swear? It says this. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. The unchanging nature of his purpose. The same purpose he had for Abraham. 
The same purpose he had for Moses. The same purpose he had for Joseph. The same purpose he had for David. It's an unchanging purpose. And the purpose is for you and for us. Corporately, together, his unchanging eternal purpose for the church is to make his manifold wisdom known to the world and to the rulers and principalities. That's his unchanging purpose. And there's this strange phenomenon I've seen among Christians where they have a theology for everybody else but themselves. So it goes something like this. I know God can give any, he can forgive anybody anything, but he can't forgive me. I know God can use anybody, but he can't use me. I know God's got a calling for everyone, but not for me. And so many of us have this, this theology for the world and not for ourselves. But God's purpose is for you. Some of the young people, when, when I was about 14, when I was a teenager, I heard somebody preach on um, the church being one body with many parts. And we're all part of the body and we, we all have a different part to play. So I went home and I thought, what part of the body am I? Because I want to play my part. And I thought, am I the brain? No, 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 I'm not the brain. I'm not the brain. Am I the hands? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not good with my hands. Am I the feet? The feet, like the gospel. No, I'm a terrible evangelist. <laughs> am I the heart? No, I, I, I don't love people like it. What am I? What am I? And this is the conclusion I came to. I decided I was the appendix. <laughs> Because nobody's quite sure what the appendix does. <laughs> and you ignore it until it gives you trouble. And then you remove it as quickly as possible. And I thought I was the appendix. I thought, I'm useless. I've got nothing to offer. So yes, we're one body with many parts. And everybody's got something to offer. But I must be the appendix with nothing to offer. And I want to tell you there's no appendix in this room. You all have something to offer. Whether you're 8 or 80. And I love in Acts chapter 2. This is what the prophet Joel said in the last days. I will pour my spirit on all flesh. And I, look, I looked it up in the Greek. You know, like preachers are supposed to do. Look at the Greek and decide what the Greek says. And the Greek word uh, for all, do you know what it means? means all. <laughs> all. It says, on your young and your old, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. That doesn't mean when you get to a certain age, you stop seeing visions and you start dreaming. Visions and dreams are the same thing. It says, whether you're young or old, you'll prophesy. Your sons and your daughters, male or female, even your servants, rich and poor. And one of the legacies, unfortunately, of, our, of this beautiful nation, one of the negative uh, legacies, is people who, who disqualify themselves because they were told for so many years that they could never amount to anything because of the ethnicity, the colour of their skin, their education. And thank God he's bigger than that. Because it's not about my education, my ability, my eloquence, my power, my strength. It's about the Holy Spirit. 
And his purpose is to use you to reveal him to the world. And so he made an oath. He confirmed it with an oath. And he did this so that by two unchangeable things, two things, it's impossible to, for God to lie. And he took an oath. He doubly confirmed what he had to say to Abraham. I will make you a father of many nations. And I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And we are the sons of Abraham. Because those who are of Abraham, Paul says in Romans, are not those who were circumcised of the flesh, but circumcised of the heart. In other words, those who came to God by faith were adopted into the family of Jesus and we become the heirs of Abraham and therefore the heirs of the promises of Abraham. And so that, that purpose, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation to bless the world. That's us. Our purpose is to be a nation under God to bless the world. And it says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This is the hope we have. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. In other words, it goes into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, into the presence of God, where Jesus who went before us, has entered on our behalf and has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We're going, without going too much into the holy of Melchizedek, what they're saying is, this is our hope that is an anchor for our soul. That Jesus died, was raised again, is in the presence of the Father, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us as a priest, and therefore we too can enter into the presence of God and be priests to Him. Amen. That's our hope. Our hope is based on the resurrection of Christ. And it's an anchor to our souls. And if ever we needed an anchor to stop us getting shipwrecked, it's now. We look at the world in which we live. And for me, we've got, we've got, we're buffeted by, by the financial storms and political storms. Winds of doctrine and false doctrine blowing everywhere. Waves of persecution coming against the church around the world. And I believe coming to us. The current of our culture trying to pull us and pull the church out of a secure place. Into a place that would shipwreck our faith and dash us against the rocks. And when we're in that storm with the winds and the waves and the currents. We need an anchor. To keep us in place, to keep us secure, to keep us safe, and to stop us being shipwrecked. And we have that anchor for our souls. It is the resurrection of Christ who's with the Father, interceding, praying for us. And the promise of what he has for us and his purposes for us in our lives. Now many years ago, there's a story, there was a ship just off the coast of Turkey. And a massive storm rolls up. And this storm was driving the ship towards the land, towards the rocks, towards its destruction. And so the captain said, throw out the anchor. And so they took the anchor and they threw it out. And it didn't stop the ship being driven towards the shore. So he said, throw out the next anchor. And they threw out a second anchor. Still didn't work. 
a third anchor and a fourth anchor. And eventually he said to write another anchor. They said, we don't have another anchor except one small little anchor. It's not even a proper anchor. This is, this is the one we use when we're in the harbour. He said, well, what choice do we have? Throw it overboard. And they threw it overboard. And suddenly the ship stopped being driven towards the shore. And when the storm was over, they started to pull in the anchors. And what they realised was, the first anchors that they threw out, the big anchors, they had landed on sand. And so all they did was, was dragging along the sand. But this last anchor, even though it was small, they threw it over and it lodged against a rock and it held them firm and it saved them. I think that's a beautiful picture because sometimes I think if you're anything like me, you kind of go, sorry Lord, I don't feel like I've got a lot of faith. How many of you ever feel like that? Lord, I don't have a lot of hope. And I want to say this, it's not necessarily how much you have, it's where you place it. What little you have, place in Christ. And we don't. We're stupid. Well, I won't speak about you. You're probably all smarter and more spiritual than I am. But I'm stupid. Too often when I'm going through the storm, that anchor is my last resort after I've tried everything else. After I've tried to work harder, get a better job, or uh, seen the doctor, or you know, whatever it is, and when nobody else can help me, then, then pray. Instead of it being my first resort, and it's as long throwing anchors out into sand. And it's not a sin to, to, to apply for jobs, it's not a sin to see a doctor, but that's not where my hope lies. Even if I've got a great job, my hope is not my ability to do that job. I used to be in sales and people would say to me, Mike, you're the best salesperson we've ever met. I was talking to a colleague once, we worked for a group of companies, he was a sales manager for another company in the group and he said to me, Mike, what do you do with your time when you're not working? I said, oh, I'm involved in a church. I'm an elder in a church. He said, what does that mean? What do you do? So I said, well, you know, I do a bit of teaching, a bit of preaching. You know, go and see people, help them with the problems. You know, all that kind of thing. He said, that sounds busy. He said, how much time do you spend doing that? And I said, I never never really really worked it out. But I did a quick calculation. I said, probably 30, 40 hours a week. He said, that's incredible. He said, I've never met anybody who's as good at sales as you are, who isn't obsessed with sales. I said, no, you've got it wrong. I'm as successful as I am because I'm not obsessed with sales. I'm as successful as I am because I put God first. And this is a lesson I learned over many years. I could tell you lots of stories of when I've tried to put money first, tried to put my career first. And when I changed it, I said, my hope is in Christ, not my ability. I saw God work things out. But here's the thing about our breakthrough. You know, when people, who, who, who loves preachers about your breakthrough? 
your breakthrough. But God's breakthrough. It's the time for your breakthrough. Your breakthrough. Your breakthrough. And I love those things as well. But there's something I realised a long time ago. Do you know what your breakthrough might be if you're sick? Your breakthrough might not be healing. Your breakthrough might be being able to praise God in your sickness. If you're in financial difficulty, your breakthrough might not be a job. Your breakthrough might be seeing the provision of God through your brothers and sisters. In Hebrews 11, it says, after listing all the heroes of the faith, like uh, Abraham and David and Moses and all of those guys, it says, and some were destitute, persecuted and afflicted. And all were commended for their faith. <coughs> By faith they lived in that situation. Even the Apostle Paul, he was sent um, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. And we can debate what that is. All we know it was unpleasant. It was unpleasant enough for Paul three times to say, God, please take this from me. Do you know what his breakthrough was? His breakthrough wasn't when that thing was removed. His breakthrough was when God said, my grace is sufficient. You see, we've got to have hope from God's perspective, not ours. Even Moses, God said, go into the promised land, I'll send an angel. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, unless you go, God, I'm not going. You know what he was saying in, in actual fact? He was saying this, I'd rather live in a desert with you than in the promised land with an angel. So what's our hope? Is our hope in a nice life, money, good health, friends, job? Or is our, is our hope in Christ, the person of Christ being with us? Is this making any sense at all? And that only comes if we have an assurance of the resurrection. In the book of Corinthians, Paul writes, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In fact, he he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. If our hope is in this life, if we only have hope for what this life can offer us, we are to be pitied more than all men. How pitiful we are. If we believe that Christ was raised from the dead, but our hope is in this life. My hope is in the next. Now, the miracle is sometimes elements of the next Break through into this. So when I talk about your breakthrough might be not healing, but might be worshipping God in your sickness. Your breakthrough might be healing. And I believe in healing. I love healing. I've seen healing. I personally, and I, I say this under God, I personally have experienced broken bones, AIDS, uh, cancers disappear. Multiple, multiple people have come to me and said, Mike, we can't have kids, will you pray for us? And now I'm watching their children grow up. So sometimes eternity breaks into our present. But what is our hope in? And God wants us to have hope. So you know one of the ways he gives us hope? 
How many of you have seen that movie, Evan Almighty, where he, he builds an ark? And uh, I'm not saying it's a theologically sound movie, it's quite amusing. But there is one scene where the wife, she's had enough of him. She thinks, he's lo- she thinks her husband's lost her mind. She's kind of on her way to leaving him and she stops at a coffee shop. And the waiter pours a coffee. And the waiter is actually God, but she doesn't know it. And she starts this conversation. And he said, you know, when people ask for patience, do you think I just give them patience? How do I create a situation where they can learn to be patient? Yeah? And it's similar with hope. Do you know how God produces hope in us? Often, not always, but often. Romans 5 tells us. In Romans 5 verse 3, it says, it's talking about let's rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we rejoice in that hope of, the, of glory. But not only this, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Not rejoicing because we're suffering, right? I don't enjoy pain. Thank you, Jesus, for the pain. No. I'm rejoicing in my sufferings because of what is happening through my suffering. So we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. How many of you have been disappointed in life? And I think, you know, as we get older, I think it becomes harder for us to hope. Because we experience disappointment. And we don't have that same innocent hope that children have. And that's one of the reasons I believe Jesus said, unless you're like a little child, put your cynicism aside. And embrace that hope that does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And it talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And so we need to be a people of hope. Life is difficult. A friend of mine once said this. He said, when people say life's tough, I say compared to what? Yeah. But there are, there's, there's many things in life that are challenges. We will suffer. There'll be hardships. I often travel to Brazil, and when I go to Brazil, I often go for three weeks at a time, and at the end of three weeks, I'm missing my family. I want to get home. But especially in summertime, um, Sao Paulo is such an enormous city and the weather's very warm and humid and then the heat from all the streets means there's a lot of turbulence. And I know most times when I'm flying November, December and I'm about to go uh, in a couple of weeks' time, I know that I'm going to experience some severe turbulence. We were travelling there a couple of years ago, there was a rugby team on, on, on the flight. And I promise you... At one point, half the rugby team had got their eyes closed. They may have been atheists, but they were praying, <laughs> calling for the mothers. And you were preaching the gospel. <laughs> but here's the thing about turbulence. Turbulence is temporary. And I'm willing to endure some turbulence to get back to my family. I'm willing to, to undergo some turbulence because I've got a hope of what lies up for me at the other side. 
And so the turbulence is something I endure. It's something I say I am willing to endure it. And I know that every hour on that plane is an hour I am closer to my loved ones. Without that eternal perspective, this life must really suck. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how unsaved people go through this life. My father's just turning 82 next week. And I talked to him on the phone. I've not seen him for a couple of years. Uh, he's just had an operation for cancer. He's saved. He's, he's full of hope and faith in God. But when I talked, he said, oh, do you remember so-and-so? Yeah, well, they've died. Do you remember so-and-so? Oh, he's got Alzheimer's. Do you remember so-and-so? He's got cancer. And like, at 82, like many of his friends are sick and dying, right? But he's completely at peace. Because it's not about this life. I think, how can you go through life experiencing all this without any sense of hope? We've got to be a people who embrace hope. But then we've got to take that hope and take it to others. You know when, I'll wrap this up here. I hope this is making sense. When God made that covenant I want to say one thing after this because I just the Lord laid it on When God spoke to Abraham, He said, I'll make you father of nations and you'll be a blessing. And the whole context of that, His whole purpose was to create this nation, Israel. And then when you read through the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, it wasn't for Israel to say, We're God's precious little children, we're better than all the rest. But that's what the mindset became. And, and Jewish men would say, thank you God that you didn't make me a Gentile. Yes. But the whole purpose of Israel is God said, bring the nations to worship me. Bring the nations to my holy mountain. Bring the nations to the temple. And to us he's saying, don't get in your nice little holy huddle and say, thank you God we're saved. And we live such good holy moral lives. No, no, we have a purpose to be a blessing and that's to take the message of hope, the message of Jesus, the message of salvation to the nations. You go, well, I can't get to the nations. I can't get to Brazil. You'd be amazed what God can do. If he wants you to come to Brazil, he'll make a way and you're all invited. But the nations for you might be living in the same house, might be working in the same business, living in the same street, studying in the same school. Our job is to take hope to a hopeless world. And we've got to be a people who find hope. I went through a tough time a couple of years ago. My wife was battling with severe depression and panic attacks the house was not the most pleasant place to be at that times and my eldest daughter was going through her own challenges started refusing to go to school locking herself in a bedroom got to the point where I took a screwdriver and took a bedroom door off the hinges and we were just 
she would not speak to him. It was just, it was just conflict. It was disharmony. It was terrible. And I stepped down off eldership for 18 months. I said, I've got to, I've got to focus on my family. If I can't leave my family. And at one point I'm like, this is crazy. I'm a leader. Leadership is my gift. I spend my time traveling around the world leading people. And in my own home, I can't get anything achieved. And I realized I don't have the ability to lead anybody. I couldn't leave my wife, I couldn't leave my daughter. We're just so broken. My daughter dropped out of school. And so we just invested, 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 and prayed, and we got help, and we got counseling, we did courses, we did everything possible. And I remember at one point it looked like we were just getting some progress. And then something blew up one night, and my daughter threatened to leave home. My, my, my wife told me I was a terrible husband and a terrible father, and I said some horrible, you know, it just, it just, and I just said, I, I just need, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving home, I just, I just need some time to cool down. And I got in the car and I drove to the beach, and I parked at the beach. I just said, this is it. There is no hope. This thing will never come right. <coughs> that's where I was. This, my, my marriage is over. I've lost my family. I've lost my job. Lost my ministry. Lost my call. I've lost everything. There is no hope. And at that moment, God dropped a scripture verse into, into my heart. So when God promised Abraham... And Abraham was way beyond, and Sarah, way, be, way beyond the age of bearing children. He said, Abraham hoped against hope. In other words, what he said is, in a hopeless situation, he still had hope. He held on to hope where there was no hope. And he dropped that into my heart, and I said, okay, God, I don't have faith that this can come right. I'm struggling to believe that this can, but I'm going to hold on to hope. A little sliver of hope. Because if I give up hope, there is none. And I just held on to hope at that moment. God help me hold on to hope. Things didn't come right instantly. It still took a while. But I began to see God intervene. God do miracles. One of the miracles is this. My daughter, who didn't want anything to do with me, and who dropped out of school for 18 months. She started to turn. She started to talk to me and built a strong relationship. And then one day she said, I want to take my GED exams, my matric equivalent exams. I said, okay, go for it. She passed them. She applied for university. And somehow with a GED, technically you're not supposed to get into university. She got into university. She's just turned 20, so she's a year early and she's about to graduate with a degree in psychology in November, despite losing 18 months of school. And our relationship is so close. And when I thought there was no hope and, and, and whatever, her plan is to go and do a, an internship with Living Hope Church on the Isle of Man next year. It's like, God is so good. Because I wasn't clever enough, strong enough, I wasn't a good enough father, I wasn't a good enough husband. I wasn't anointed or gifted enough. But I just held on to hope that God could do it. 
And I just want to share that story because I think some of us are in situations where maybe you said, I have hoped, I have trusted, I have had faith, but nothing's happened. In fact, you know, sometimes you're in a situation and you pray for faith and things get worse. <laughs> but however the outlook is from human eyes, God's purpose is eternal. And he wants you to hold on to hope for this life and the next. Because if Jesus could be resurrected from the dead, and we even read about Abraham, after he eventually got that son, what did God ask him to do? He then asked him to kill the son. And Abraham ran, I'm even willing to kill him. Even if it means God has to raise him from the dead, I will be obedient. And sometimes, sometimes we have to go through the worst of situations in order to see the power of God. I think it was Corrie Ten Boom who said, in order to know the strength of the anchor, you've got to feel the storm. It's only when we've been through the storm we know how strong the anchor is. And so I want to urge you, don't have the anchor in the boat. Throw it out onto the rock. And even if it's only an itty-bitty little anchor, it doesn't matter. It's not how big your anchor is. It's where it's placed. And this is, this is my commitment to you. This is my commitment. Because this is what I experienced. My anchor of hope was so small and so weedy. I put it on Christ, but I didn't think it would be strong enough. But you know what happened? Others came alongside me and lent me their anchor. Their hope. And they kept hope alive in me when it was full. And that's the beauty of being together. We need to be a people of hope. And our hope is not in our abilities, our strengths, politicians, money. Our hope is in the risen Christ. And the hope of glory. That one day, all pain, all suffering, and every tear will cease. And all the suffering and all of these things will be passed away. But three things will remain. Faith, hope, and love. Can we just bow our heads? Jesus, I want to thank you that we can have hope because of you. Our hope is not in ourselves or our ability. We put our hope in no man. In Psalm 20 it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in the things that they have and their own power and wealth. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Lord, I want to pray for every person in this room who's been going through difficult times, who's been struggling to hold on to hope. Pray that you would be with them, that you would reveal yourself in the midst of their circumstances. Knowing that sometimes you allow us to go through these storms so that we know how strong the anchor is. 
And I pray for everyone that is going through tough times, that they would come to a place where they can rejoice in their suffering, knowing that ultimately it will produce a hope that does not disappoint. For no, no matter how turbulent this journey is, we've got a destination greater than we can imagine. I pray that we would be a people of hope, a people who shine bright in Jesus, where people in dark places would see that light and be drawn to it. And that we were also as a community of faith, as a family, we would draw alongside those who are going through tough times, draw alongside those who are suffering, draw, draw alongside those who are in turmoil, draw alongside those who are in the storm and join our anchor to theirs. Our hope is you. And in the words of an old hymn, an old, old hymn. I don't know if you, if you know it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone Cornerstone, weak made strong, and the Saviour's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Yes, let us be a people who can say, Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And if there is anybody here this morning, maybe here, and you realise, actually, I don't have that hope. I don't have that assurance of eternity. I don't have that relationship with Jesus where I can say, yes, I have a hope in a resurrection, an eternal future with Jesus. If that's you this morning, the good news and the best news is, you don't do anything to deserve it. All you do is receive it. And if you need that hope in Christ this morning and you've never surrendered to him, you've never put your faith in him, I'd love to give you that opportunity this morning. So just while we're in a place of prayer and most people's eyes are closed, if that's you and you want to respond and say, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. I want to rely on you for my life, my hope, my future, and for my salvation, and for eternal life. Can you just raise your hand where you are? Okay. Thank you, young man. Thank you. Anybody else? Can we pray together? And for those of you that have raised your hands, pray this. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I don't want to put my trust in myself. I don't want to live life for me. 
I want to entrust my life to you. I want to entrust my soul to you. I want to do what you would have me do. I'm sorry for relying on myself. I'm sorry for doing things my way. I want to make you Lord. I want to put my trust in you. From today, my hope is you. My hope for eternal life lies in you. And whatever this world can do, I will fix my eyes on you. Knowing that because you were raised from the dead, I too will be raised into eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
listen to it again. Um, yeah, really feel it. So it's a now word for us. Thank you so much for that. We're going to have some coffee. For those of you that want to, a double dose of coffee. We're also going to go to the railway market. We're going to just have a time of fellowship. Um, I don't think Mike has ever been to the Elgin Railway Market. It's the showpiece of Elgin. We at least need to go and show you that. So for everybody that doesn't have a place to go, we're going to meet up there after church. We're going to grab a, a table and just have a back time of fellowship after we leave here. So feel free to come and join us in there. And uh, remember, this is church. Tuesday for the Tuesday group. Wednesday for the Wednesday group. Thanks guys. Thank you.